Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading sustainability thinkers and practitioners, scientists, economists, NGOs, business leaders and investors. We discuss the sustainability imperative, the key challenges, the latest thinking, and what's working in sustainability, resilience and regeneration. Green finance is increasingly presented as a crucial way to address climate change and biodiversity laws. Yet more often than not, financial alchemy is used to obfuscate and repackage dirty activities, which are then rebranded as green, thus maintaining the status quo. The Green Finance Observatory is an independent NGO whose mission is to analyse and decrypt these new financial markets based on pollution and nature's destruction. If you feel it is important to identify and debunk false green finance claims, fight climate change profiteering and other carbon finance mercenaries, please go to greenfinanceobservatory.org where you can support its work. I'm very pleased today to welcome Dashu Karma Ura to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Karma Ura is the president of the Centre for Bhutan Studies and Gross National Happiness Research and a scholar, artist and historian. He's a key figure in the development of the concept of gross national happiness in Bhutan, formulating the nine domains of gross national happiness and has led various gross national happiness surveys. Thank you very much for joining me today, Dr. Ura, on the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Thank you. I'm very glad to be part of your activity, although I am absolutely uncertain whether I will be useful or beneficial. (laughs) Okay. Well, I've read some of your work and I'm uh, pretty confident that you have some interesting things to say. But maybe just before we start, if you can tell us a little bit about your background and what you do, Karma. the uh, uh, think tanks uh, exploration of development paths uh, which relies uh, on well-being and happiness as its goal. Excellent. Yes. Um, uh, Very interesting work indeed. Um, Before talking a little bit about uh, this, this measure uh, of well-being and the gross national happiness, uh, I just wondering, you know, get your sense of of, uh, what worries you uh, today about the state of the world, particularly environmentally. We have all kinds of issues we're facing at the moment. We still have COVID and there's the war in in Ukraine. But um, I'm just wondering, is there anything in particular that worries you, that keeps you, uh, is on your mind, keeps you awake at night? Well, there are many things uh, that worries everybody, I think, but uh, all of us can only worry because we are ineffective uh, and cannot contribute 
in a very significant way to the solutions of these worries. Um, but uh, you brought up war, you brought up environment. Yes, these are two uh, very important priorities uh, concerning priorities today, uh, but there are others. Um, I think the uh, question of uh, poverty in the midst of uh, plenty is one major uh, worrying thing for ages now. We have not been able to resolve it. that such kind of arms are needed for self-defense, but it only works if both sides are compassionate and has a lot of, uh, uh, in the midst of ornaments, both sides are compassionate. And if uh, compassionate enough not to use them. So uh, that is a very paradoxical and a dangerous uh, thing that we could not stem uh, after the Second World War. Of course, the environment issue you raised, which is sort of inexorable threat to the whole planet. Um, we are no longer talking about individual well-being or species well-being. We are really talking about the end of everything. So that is also a, a tremendously concerning issue. Uh, uh, along with these things, uh, one uh, uh, Buddhist uh, perspective is the uh, who are used uh, to feed human beings. Um, so th there are many things like this uh, we can discuss. Yes, yes. Are there other things that give rise to some optimism, karma, about changes in the world? Uh, I think the uh, rise of for us. The orientation of many governments uh, towards a balance between material Well, I, I look forward to talking a little bit about that because it's um... It's very much associated, um, the birth at least, or the uh, and, and indeed the growth and popularity of 
um, ideas around gross national happiness and using and, and focusing on measures of happiness and, and well-being associated with, with, with Bhutan, um, but also has spread and is growing in other places as well. And I'm just wondering, can you maybe just introduce the idea of, of, of uh, called gross national happiness, of exploring uh, or prioritizing, should we say, uh, uh, broader measures of well-being? And, and, you know, and, and why did Bhutan you know, decide to prioritize this idea? Is there a connection between this and, you know, the Buddhism in, 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 in Bhutan? We just got to set a little bit of the context, Karma. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, I think uh, the, uh, the idea uh, uh, in the Himalayas, idea that has existed for a long time in the Himalayas, that the uh, organization of government, the organization of uh, people as a state, uh, has to eventually uh, serve the purpose of happiness, um, is an old one. And the culture in the Himalayas has been uh, partly, I must say partly, influenced by Buddhist thought. And in Buddhist thinking, as you know, uh, and this is the sort of uh, uh, basic point uh, that all creatures, all creatures um, are knowingly or unknowingly engaged in search for some sort of equanimity calmness and contentment uh, uh, has been there for a long time. And so uh, uh, now in the Himalayas, uh, uh, where once Buddhism and similar thoughts inspired by Buddhism has been uh, widespread, um, Bhutan remains uh, the only state, um, old state, uh, unaffected by colonialism, unaffected by institutional breakdown, unaffected by world wars. Uh, so it's a very small country, but uh, in this sense of continuity, it is great and big, in my opinion. So drawing from this kind of culture, which was partly influenced by Buddhism, uh, in the medieval times, also, the laws do say that the purpose of government is really to promote happiness. And uh, uh, Bhutan started to modernize, as you know, from 1960s, early 1960s. Uh, that is to say that it has begun to introduce ideas, technologies, goods from uh, other parts of the world which are considered developed. And in the course of that, the fourth king of Bhutan, the Jigme Singe Wangchuk, His Majesty, uh, decided uh, to uh, uh, give a new burst to idea of happiness as the purpose of government. And so he coined this word, gross national happiness, in mid-70s and then try to introduce it as a criteria in his policies and legislations. 
And since then, it, uh, in keeping with the times, we have introduced statistics, metrics, uh, and it guides some parts of important policies. It is a part of the discourse in Bhutan. It is also introduced to the students. Uh, it affects budgeting and so on and so forth. So uh, gross national happiness uh, uh, is uh, quite a popular uh, 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 philosophical or uh, developmental framework uh, that uh, some nations, other nations have also tried to uh, sort of uh, have a peak and some of them have adopted parts of it around the world. But uh, it, I, must, I would like to say that it is not only Bhutan who is interested in well-being and happiness. Uh, all around the world, simultaneously, you uh, get this uh, interest uh, in um, uh, adopting well-being measures around the world. Uh, but Bhutan is a bit early uh, to act on this idea. Yes, yes. I mean, maybe we can discuss aspects of of what's in, in, involved in it, what what it, what it takes into account beyond the economic uh, um, sides of things. But what would you say have been some of the you know signal or key uh, results or achievements of prioritizing and thinking about happiness and well being? rather than economics alone, rather than GDP alone, shall we say in the last 20 or 30 years, you're a country, as you said, that have, is undergoing an, an, uh, you know, modernization since the 1960s and pretty rapid, and in, in many ways, I suppose, has some typical challenges associated with a country modernizing. But I'm just wondering, are there two or three outcomes that you could point to that you think are really uh, very, very much contingent as, as a result of taking this broader well-being approach, Karma? examination of the interior or the inner life of human beings and that is to say mainly their uh, fluctuations in their uh, emotions uh, or the effects is a very important uh, direct uh, observation uh, of uh, how the population is doing in terms of happiness and well-being of course, the external conditions are well measured uh, everywhere else through GDP and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, the other thing in Bhutan, uh, which we emphasize a great deal, is the uh, uh, linkage between these uh, positive feelings, satisfactions, contentment, calmness, etc., two broader measures of uh, natural environment, the relationship in the community, which we call community vitality domain,
flow of uh, um, uh, flow of events across time within 24 hours how people use time do they have enough time to do the, the right things for happiness i think these are uh, some advanced uh, aspects of conception of happiness in our country yeah thank you that's that's very interesting and do you think the government has made decisions different kinds of decisions than it would have if it had been just looking at conventional GDP? Or do you think that some of the social outcomes that you've seen in Bhutan have been improved by taking this particular approach? Uh, there are things that we, 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 either as individuals or as government uh, bodies, would never have known unless we took this GNH approach. For example, we would never know uh, the, the sort of uh, changes or fluctuations in the psychological well-being of the population. Uh, when I say psychological well-being, we attract them through uh, positive, positive emotions, negative emotions. Um, Largely, the typology is drawn from Buddhism, such as negative emotions, such as competitions, jealousy, sadness, uh, or positive emotions, such as calmness, feeling of calmness, compassion, um, joyfulness, etc. So these are um, uh, uh, ascertained through national surveys. So we know that uh, which part of the country is improving, which part of the country is pro, uh, um, kind of going backwards, which age group, which professional group, so on and so forth. Or uh, take another example, if we had not adopted GNH approach, we would never know uh, whether the communities, that, that is to say relationship between individuals and relationship between families in a village or in a town or a city, how, how are they performing? Um, are they sharing? Are they doing things together? Are they offering help to each other? None of this we would know um uh, uh, on a national basis yes, yes. so the so the the, the gnh uh, is making uh, a difference in the production of knowledge and information but it is also making a difference in the uh, actual uh, decisions of the government because the decisions of the government are partly influenced by things that come out of the findings of GNH, GNH survey, which we do every five years. Our plan also is formulated every five years. So we do a massive survey every five years. So uh, uh, the goals of the government for the five years, especially the intangible aspects of the goals of the government are drawn from the indicators of GNH as benchmarks. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. one concrete way it affects the performance and assessment, but also there are other things. Uh, policies of the government are processed and screened through something called GNH policy screening tools, which we have established long ago, and it is implemented through a very rigorous procedure. Uh, uh, one of the tests of 
anything is really whether it influences government investment or government expenditure plan. And that is also happening with respect to GNH because about 60% of the capital budget for all parts of the country is allocated according to a formula, which is called GNH resource allocation formula. So that uh, impacts really the division of money. Uh, so there are six or seven technical areas how GNH has influenced the uh, functioning of the government. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. And what are the trends? How how would you say Bhutan is doing in terms of its measures of happiness? Um, and 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 can you maybe identify a couple of the key elements that are included in the measure? Um, the uh... The main thing is uh, that if you look at uh, trends uh, according to economic indicators such as GDP, you'll always see that it is going up and up. Um, But if you see uh, uh, GNH indicators, then the progress is a bit slow, much slower than GDP because it takes into account so many things. And uh, those many things are not always easy to be improved, Uh, not easy to be improved very rapidly. So for example, between the uh, GNH2 GNH survey, for example, the psychological well-being and the community vitality indicators uh, have uh, uh, regressed a little bit, regressed a little bit. So, uh, so they, they dropped a bit uh, yes. compared to... Yeah. Uh, therefore, uh, this was brought to the attention of the government and um, government w- then uh, has taken uh, some corrective measures. Uh, for example, um, uh, among many things, government has paid far greater attention to mental health now than it used to do. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. No, very, very, very interesting. Um, and the, all of those psychological uh, questions are tremendously interesting because you've got, you know, quite nuanced data really there in terms of, as you say, uh, changes over time, but also changes daily patterns and things like that. But I'm just wondering also, can we talk about Uh, yes. Uh, now, the questions in the GNH about environment are, I must say, mainly perceptual, perceptual, uh, rather than uh, chemical measurements. So, uh, it asks the GNH questionnaire asks whether the air quality has improved, noise uh, has uh, control has improved or not, water quality and soil quality, etc., uh, are um, uh, being maintained or not. It also asks behavioral questions about whether uh, people are planting trees around their uh, farms and households. Uh, so. 
we do perceptual ones, whereas the uh, others uh, in the government, uh, such as the National Environmental Commission, uh, does physical and chemical uh, monitoring, chemical monitoring. But I would like to, first of all, say that the uh, uh, Bhutanese approach to uh, environmental preservation at least in terms of biodiversity and forest, um, is uh, even though I may say it as a Bhutanese, I think it is exemplary in the world. Exemplary in the world. This is the only country which has been able to increase forest coverage in the last century, let us say, in the last century. So the forest coverage is now reached about 72%. And uh, as a result, uh, the country is the only in the country, overwhelming part of the uh, farming is subsistence farming, and they are organic uh, farmers uh, in the traditional way. Um, pollution from transport sector uh, and also climate change gases coming out from transport sector and the transport sector is growing quite rapidly. Hence, the government is actively yeah, Yes, yes. And, and to what do you attribute the success? Uh, I, I must uh, uh, I must uh, emphasize that more than half the country is placed under uh, natural sanctuaries or parks for wildlife and plants. More than half the country, and that and are people allowed in these areas as well? Indigenous people. Well, Bhutanese population uh, um, uh, on a per capita per square miles or per square kilometer is extremely low. I think it is perhaps uh, as low as Siberia or some other place like that. So the footprint of human beings, although they have uh, the traditional villages uh, on, the, on the fringe of a forest is extremely low, I must say. I must. Yeah. So uh, this is the only place where uh, wild animals, uh, insects, and uh, this, uh, other flora and fauna can have a chance to succeed. All around Bhutan, the pressure of human population explosion is so rapid. Yes. And what do you attribute the success of the, particularly the environmental dimension? As you say, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very impressive. It's you know, world leader in, in, in many respects, the first carbon negative country, as you say. Um, are, are there one or two particular aspects of policies that you can point to or or decisions that were made? There are uh, several uh, conjunctive factors uh, contributing to this uh, 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 to this outcome. 
Uh, one, I must say, is the native belief, uh, native belief uh, combined also with Buddhist attitude towards uh, non-harming of sentient beings. So, you know, uh, the uh, if you see a wild animal um, come by uh, near your field, um, the tendency is not to overcome them or to or to uh, or to uh, kill them really tendencies uh, this is, is some kind of a uh, reflection of the attitude of reluctant sharing of your crops with wildlife uh, but it is uh, the restraint is coming from the values that uh, you know to take life um, is uh, inherently uh, immoral so that is that is that helps uh, that helps the uh, the other idea that uh, places are uh, places of extraordinary forest extraordinary land formations extraordinary snow glaciers and snow mountains are dwellings of gods and deities it also helps it also helps really uh, against this background, of course, uh, the visionary uh, role of uh, the fourth king of Bhutan, third king of Bhutan, for uh, declaring uh, these kind of sanctuaries and uh, wildlife parks uh, must be mentioned. I think uh, it, it is now consolidated in law, so it cannot be changed, even if the traditional beliefs and values uh, are eroded slightly by modernization. Um, but uh, overall, Bhutanese people are mountain people, and mountain peoples are very close in body, speech, and mind to uh, wilderness. Uh, the wilderness is one where poets and Buddhist adepts have flowered and blossoms. That is also playing a big role uh, in the preservation of nature. Yes, yes. Very interesting, Karma. Um, you, you probably are aware that there are, there's considerable momentum globally, indeed, to adopt uh, a, what you might call a, uh, an approach to nature, which is one of financialization. One is putting a price on nature with a view to, well, um, okay. with a view eventually to have various kind of tradable financial instruments and in one thing and another. But so this idea of, uh, you know, carbon markets and various kind of offsetting approaches and so forth, it's a it, 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 there's tremendous momentum there and large financial institutions and so forth. Well, if you are changing a currently uh, commercial piece of land, uh, which is already under building or under uh, farming and converting that into uh, forest, I think you can do pretty good calculation of what is the substitute value and how to commercialize or financialize it. However, uh, uh, the extreme point of uh, logical thinking on this kind of thing is, what is the price of earth? You can, you can ask this question. Uh, 
because earth is the container of all sort of natural biodiversity, plants, life, insects, and so on. Can you, and from whose point of view? Uh, whom you, you have to be outside the earth to value the earth like this. So uh, uh, taken to extreme, I think it will uh, result in unacceptable uh, conclusions uh, taken to extreme. Uh, um, um, in any case, I think uh, uh, nature, uh, concept of nature. I mean, it is a it is a uh, uh, confluence of the atmosphere, of the subsoil, of insects, of plants, human beings, uh, all sort of in a very dynamic and spontaneous, and uh, on, on almost uh, too complex for us to describe. And how how to put a price on this sort of thing? Uh, you know, uh, causal factors. Uh, I, I'm a bit perplexed, by the way. I, I of course, have heard that uh, um, uh, for carbon sequestration, you know, carbon uh, um, tickets are being sold, you, can, you know. But uh, I think there are two, 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 two parts to it. There are really two parts of it. On... In a holistic way, I think it may not be possible to price everything. I, I think that's very interesting. And, and, and recent figures, I think the European Commission valued nature I mean, in the EU as something like $234 billion. That's what the value they put on it. And um, as you say, what, what does this figure actually mean? This is effectively, I think as somebody pointed out, uh, one month of revenues for the oil and gas sector nice. you know but what 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 does that mean and as you say you know whose 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 perspective is this yeah. you know yeah, yeah. The, the value uh and and it puts i guess it gets to the heart of a question which is uh current this the question around gdp there are many questions around gdp but it is i suppose this economism that everything is seen through an economic lens. It's one particular set of values which predominates and dominates the other values, all the other values. And I suppose this question of quantification, and I'm interested in this with respect to GNH, because when it comes to GDP, for example, the governments are always trying to maximize GDP. They're trying to get more growth. They're trying to uh, grow things, grow the economy. Uh, is this something similar with respect to GNH? Are governments trying to maximize this? I think the we can uh, uh, consider that uh, GNH is a rather sort of a holistic or rather a maximal concept, maximal concept. And we might like to interpret GDP as a somewhat a minimal concept, in a minimal concept. Now, a concept which is minimal in its structure may not be appropriate to be sort of maximized on and on because it may produce so much side effects, you know, and it does, it does. So, um, it, it has many weaknesses, which is very well known. Uh, it is very well known. Uh, uh, it uh, it doesn't, as you know, uh, 
uh, take account of what happens uh, within the household. It is a bit oblivious to the uh, capital or, or the wealth in the forest as a stock, wealth in nature as a stock. If you break it down, then convert it into goods and services, then GDP will grow. So it has uh, some sort of contradictory things when you see from uh, uh, from well-being as a whole. Uh, so I do not think that anybody would like to grow at uh, 20% or 30%. Uh, 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 that would be disastrous. Uh, that would be disastrous. Uh, it may be good for some companies because they are expanding at the expense of other things, other essential domains of life. Uh, so, um, uh, 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 but GDP as a uh, is an is an input into well-being. I must say that I I would like to say that. At a moderate level, it is a very important impact uh, input into well-being. Uh, in so far, it it supplies us essential goods and services. Uh, um, um, but uh, um, as you know, it uh, leaves out many intangible, any in, in any un unestimated or difficult to estimate things uh, out. Um, so. Um, uh, it is a different immaterial, intangible aspects of life, uh, which we value, um, uh, do not feature in it. So we need both, really. We really need both. And uh, wisdom has to judge which one has to be, um, which one has to be um, uh, improved at the expense of other. Yes, yes. And it, it, at the heart, I guess, of measures of, of uh, GNH is, is you're looking at just people's well-being rather than some kind of abstract economic uh, measures in, in some respects. Um, I'm interested as well um, in how enduring the GDP measure is. There are so many other measures now and... Uh, Com more complex with green uh, measures and, and various manifold approaches. And the critiques of GDP have been around for decades. There were periods where there were, there were much stronger voices criticizing these. Uh, I think uh, it is enduring, uh, but it is not so durable, uh, in my opinion. Uh, that uh, that it has uh, begun to uh, be a, a um, huge yardstick uh, that has a very big uh, uh, profile, especially uh, among the developed countries, uh, um, has to do with the uh, corporate world uh, that dominates America and Europe. Uh, they find it very uh, friendly uh, because they can see their progress uh, uh, in this mirror, which we call GDP. Uh, it's been around, as you know, for 70 odd years uh, so far, uh, but that is not long at all from human uh, uh, history's point of view. That is really a momentary, momentary uh, span. 
and um, uh, the criticism in the intellectual side is building up the criticism on the social movement side is building up uh, so it may have a role but it may not have a primary role because it is not a really a good mirror in my opinion uh, the mirror uh, surface is curved and so you 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 that you see distortion the reflection is distorted one of the reality uh, so uh, in uh, it is uh, conceivable to think that uh, within next 20 30 years uh, some catastrophes must precede it and then we will uh, ad adapt uh, to a new um, um, uh, new 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 mirror let us say somebody will make a new mirror and yes. we will use that and uh, the spring for springheads for emergence of this new mirror is all around. We can see this signs of it. The economists themselves, some of them are unhappy with it uh, because it is not able to predict anything uh, interesting. Uh, it is. Uh, it has got shortfalls, well noted, but it also has a very big strength and adherence just now, being taught multiplicated, duplicated by the UN's statistical system, by the many, many universities all around the world uh, in, in, its, in their economic faculties, uh, uh, following this neoclassical um, uh, system in the framework of national accounts, uh, being perpetuated by national government offices all around the world. So lots of money. Uh, is gone into it, and lots of people's um, uh, professional lives is also attached to it. Uh, uh, so that is the building which will be altered as time goes on. But the building just now is quite huge. Yes, the GNH approach seems would seem to be aligned, shall we say, with. And the SDGs dashboard is very different from uh, the dashboard, uh, the, the dashboard that is associated with GDP. I mean, the advantage of GDP is that uh, its uh, procedures, uh, systems uh, have been, uh, you know, uh, laid out so well, uh, and you get one single pulse rate. Uh, by which to measure the country every quarter or every you know year, so that's the GDP. But SDB, we, SDG, we do not have such kind of composite index. We have only series of you know seventeen different goals, uh, um, and it's not very easy to summarize uh, at a single uh, number level. So. Uh, but there are many other um, uh, mother, many may many other uh, in indexes. Uh, my main point is that yes, yes. And how would you say the concept is? What direction is it going now? 
as you said, that all all measures, I guess, many of the measures that we've been talking about, they're 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 good in some in ways and 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 have shortcomings. Over time, I suppose the idea is to try and deal with some of those and 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 come up with better measures or even proxies and things like that. What have you learnt over the these decades in terms of uh, measuring well-being in this way? Well, the uh, we are living in a very plural world, so there are many, many measures. Uh, health has their measures. Uh, road departments have their measures. Education has their measures, uh, and so and so forth. Uh, and 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 then at the kind of a, a, a supreme level, there is this uh, god of GNH, uh, god of GDP on one side, and then. Satellite data is like G, G, GNH or uh, you know <laughs> better better uh, better uh, better life index of uh, OECD and so on. Uh, many others like this. Is this is a plethora of uh, indicators, uh, all fulfilling their uh, uh, purposes in very diverse way, uh, but uh, at a global level uh, for. Uh, Comparison between nations uh, and uh, comparison over time, uh, we might need uh, some sort of consensus. And I think the uh, the, the movement is uh, just uh, gathering force, gathering force. ways in which thinking about how you know source availability and so forth uh, I, I like to i like to kind of summarize uh, the issue of sustainability uh, in uh, three small ways uh, uh, the first is the, of course, so the ecological unsustainability. You already mentioned about this, about climate change. Uh, you know, uh, the resources being used uh, at a speed greater than they can reproduce, um, and so so forth. And so this is the ecological debt, the debt of uh, debt of uh, debt we are imposing on future generations. Um, we are overusing it and imposing on future generations. This is sort of um, I like to think of this as the uh, imposition we are putting on future generations. Uh, but the future may not be too 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 far out. Some are talking about 2050 when things would be catastrophic. Some are talking about uh, later in the century when things would be catastrophic when the temperature goes up. Goes up. But uh, anyway, we are uh, uh, not not only doing uh, something to the cloth of the earth that is the atmosphere that we are doing something to the cloth of the earth is making uh, making ourselves too um, uh, inflammatory for our own well-being uh, but there are also many uh, other um, uh, catastrophic depletions depletions as you know oceans quality of water 
biodiversity collapse and so and so forth. So these are sort of ecological crises uh, on a uh, planetary scale. I, I think it is no longer about individual happiness or individual well-being. We are really facing some sort of collective death here. Uh, collective mortality uh, and but to think about collective death and collective mortality is really difficult we can only think of our individual exits you know yeah. the second yes. uh, thing is uh, uh, i referred to this little bit already about the uh, nature of our relationship with the animals. Uh, this is a moral moral debt, I would like to say, the moral debt. That is that the human species have progressed so much uh, with freedom, human rights, uh, our uh, right to living well, and so on and so forth. Uh, but um, I think the animal kingdom has suffered a great deal in the last few centuries. And the suffering is accelerating and deepening, deepening. Yeah. We can, can yeah. you and I, Fergal, can imagine, uh, I saw some statistics that uh, we eat about 270 billion creatures every year, or something of that sort. Uh, they are yeah. they are sh they are shredded. They are chopped. Their feathers are plucked before they even can cease to breathe. Uh, so many tormenting, torturous, uh, so many uh, uh, such such uh, mortal harassment. Uh, uh, from which we ourselves have gained freedom, but they have not. They have not. So this I would like to think as moral, moral debt, moral unsustainability of our life. I myself am uh, not a vegetarian, so I'm I'm part of that uh, samsara. Really, I'm part of that uh, guilt-laden uh, class of sentient being. This third point I must mention. Yes, That's a very interesting perspective on, on sustainability, Karma. Can I ask just one question, which I suppose is a, uh, a backdrop, not a backdrop, but maybe uh, an emerging uh, uh, immediate element as well. How are the expectations how climate change will affect Bhutan? Is a particular ecosystem in the Himalayas the source of so many of the rivers in, in Asia uh, in, in, in general? Uh, uh, what about Bhutan? Is there some understanding or expectation for the kinds of changes that you might see? Uh, 
there is a lot of uh, apprehension within the government uh, and the civil service uh, that the uh, the evaporation of the glaciers and the browning of the mountain might lead to uh, lower volumes of water and that's necessary for many things including uh, its key export industry which is hydropower uh, you know so how would the flow of water be interrupted by climate change is one major worry uh, but um, uh, in my opinion there are much greater worries really not not this sort of uh, water level going up or down um, uh, but much greater one and this himalayas uh, eastern himalayas especially now uh, in the heart of it is bhutan this well fairest buddhist country uh, which is uh, animal loving wildlife cherishing uh, you know, uh, at least theoretically compassionate uh, uh, to the extent possible in every way. Uh, um, but this place is really a hotspot of biodiversity as the biologists and environmentalists have designated it. Now, uh, it, it is hot spot because there are lots of animals and lots of insects, lots of uh, amphibians to be discovered uh, and they are discovering new plants and uh, animals in Bhutan. What would happen if the temperature goes up and the summer comes early? What would happen to leafing and flowering? Uh, uh, what would happen to uh, the emergence of uh, insects and arrivals of birds, all these mismatches that can uh, um, uh, that can come about uh, when temperature changes. This is much bigger worry. Yes. yes. Much bigger worry. What kind of disturbances it will bring to life other than human beings. We can always adapt. We can always run away. You know, we can always make uh, uh, air conditions, but what about other creatures? Yeah. And as you say, these are, they go beyond the national, they go into the national remit or the national focus of the nation state or countries. These are global issues. And, and what we see is the, you know, the poorest, some of the poorest countries in the world are already and will bear many of the worst consequences of climate change. And um, it's a, a tremendously important question that we can't neglect and um, hasn't really been dealt with or isn't being dealt with uh, by various, I guess, uh, fora, Western uh, uh, organizations or uh, the West, I would say, in general, uh, but tremendously important. Um, and as you say, what happens in Bhutan is is intimately, it, this sense of interdependence, how we're all connected together somehow. Mm. Um, but that's, 
I'd like to thank you for your time today, Carla, yeah. and sharing yeah. your would, perspective mm-hmm. and insights. Well, I, I would lo- la- lastly like to add also uh, that this uh, this kind of climate change uh, always has spurred uh, in history uh, large-scale movements of people from desertified, waterless, uh, 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 kind of sunburned lands to other places. And in this respect too, you know, the plains of Northern India and, and the Bangladesh, etc., on one side, and then the, uh, the dry Tibetan plateau on the other side, you know, uh, catastrophic changes in climate could spur a huge uh, movement of uh, populations. Indeed, indeed. A um, a big question, big, a big, a big uh, issue, and one which um, again I suspect many countries uh, aren't prepared for, or one doesn't feel hugely optimistic as to how many parts of the world will respond to that. Um, on that uh, rather uh, depressing note, Karma, I would like to thank you again and wish you the very best with your ongoing work. Thank you so much, Fergal. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we think you will enjoy Jeremy Lent's new book, The Web of Meaning, Integrating Science and Traditional Wisdom to Find Our Place in the Universe. Jeremy sees the multiple crises we are facing as symptoms of an underlying worldview of disconnection that has passed its expiration date. The Web of Meaning provides an intellectually solid foundation for an alternative worldview of connectedness, weaving together findings from modern science with insights from Buddhism, Taoism and indigenous knowledge. It offers a coherent, integrated worldview that could enable humanity to thrive sustainably on a flourishing planet. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. It would be great if you could leave a review and share the podcast on social media. You can sign up at iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.